0: Welcome to another edition of Bothell Amplified. I'm Mackenzie Britton, producer for the podcast and your temporary host while Pastor Joe is on vacation. On this pod, we are joined by Celeste Devaney, our friend from the Halen Bay United Methodist Church. Pastor Celeste has worked with UMC since 2000 and joins us to preach from Matthew verse 16, chapters 13 through 20. Check it out now on Bothell Amplified. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked his disciples who do people say that the Son of Man is and they said some say John the Baptist but others Elijah and still others Jeremiah are one of the prophets he said to them but who do you say that I am Simon Peter answered you are the Messiah the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Joseph, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Holy words for God's people.
1: Good morning. My name is Celeste Devaney, and I get to serve as pastor of the Halem Bay United Methodist Church in the Halem, Oregon. It's just south of Cannon Beach. I'm also on staff at Bothell UMC as program minister, um, and I'm happy to be able to join my Bothell UMC family today via video because I'm in the Halem. But today I get to share my thoughts on the scripture we heard read this morning from Matthew 16. This passage focuses on two important questions, and brings to mind the story of someone asking similar questions. In 1952, a baby boy was born in Arlington Heights, Illinois. That's a computer a commuter suburb of Chicago. The boy's name was Lee, and his parents raised him, like many other suburban families at the time, to go to church on Sundays. He got confirmed and baptized in junior high. His parents, though, didn't realize that their son didn't completely buy into Christianity. Kids wanna please their parents, so they go along with them a lot of the time and Lee went along with what his parents believed. But when he was 14, Lee learned about Charles Darwin and the theory of evolution. He heard that and he thought, wow, this is great news, finally! There's a rational basis for atheism. If, If evolution explains life, then the first chapters of the Bible must be mythology and wishful thinking. Now that was the reasoning of a teenager, but Lee's thoughts progressed along those lines as he grew up. After confirmation, he felt he had a pass on attending church. His faith, such as it was, was further eroded when he went to college, married his junior high sweetheart, who held the same beliefs he did, and then went on to Yale Law School. Eventually, He embraced atheism wholeheartedly. His wife, Leslie, wasn't quite as hostile toward God. They got married in a church, but to her, like her husband, God was just another topic she'd never bothered to seriously explore. After law school, Lee and Leslie moved to my hometown of Chicago, where they got an apartment in a high rise just north of the Loop. That's the city's main business district. Leslie began a career in banking, and Lee got a job first as an intern, then as a reporter with the Chicago Tribune, one of the most respected daily papers in the country. He rose through the ranks, eventually becoming the Tribune's legal affairs editor. Now, for those of you who remember the Ford Pinto, Lee was the investigative reporter who delved into Ford's mishandling of the car line that had such serious engineering errors with its gas tank that it spontaneously combusted and cost dozens of lives. Career-wise, Lee was doing great. He made bank, too. His stories with a byline ran on the Tribune front page. He toured the country doing radio and TV interviews, even wrote a book, he won awards. He was at the top of his game and he wasn't even 30. Yet, even as he gained so many things that he valued, He slowly lost other things. He once interviewed a grieving mother for a story. The woman's young daughter had been raped and murdered. And he wrote that, as she poured out her pain, I was thinking, "Whoa, these are great quotes. And I'm the only reporter who's got them. Soon after that, he got an exclusive interview with a young boy who had been stood up with his brother and a friend in front of a wall and each had been shot in the head by members of the local gang. The other two boys died and the surviving one hung on long enough to testify in court to who shot them, though it was predicted that he would die of his wounds. After the court appearance, the prosecutor let Lee interview the teenager for an exclusive front page story. Lee was so excited, so jazzed about the glory of such an assignment that he actually went into the interview with a grin on his face and he pumped the poor kid so hard for details that the prosecuting attorney pulled him out of the interview and said angrily, what is wrong with you? This kid watched his brother and a friend get blown away. He's probably going to die himself and you're interviewing him like you're some kind of a comedian. No doubt that was a humiliating dose of reality. And it made Lee ask himself, what was wrong with him? Why didn't he care about this kid or his murdered friends? Why didn't he empathize with the woman whose daughter had been murdered? Why did he only care about himself and his career? Now we'll come back to Lee's story in a minute, but first, join me in prayer. Oh God, be present here and in all the places where we are worshiping today. Change us. Speak to us. Touch our hearts and minds. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now, our scripture today is part of a narrative of Jesus's ministry as he traveled around Galilee preaching and teaching and healing. Last week, we heard the story of Jesus healing the Syrophoenician woman's daughter while he was visiting the coastal cities of Tyre and Sidon. This week, our scripture finds Jesus still teaching his disciples as they traveled further inland to Caesarea Philippi. Now, Caesarea Philippi is about 15 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. It's an interesting story for this particular place. There is a rock wall there, and on it, Herod had built a great temple and his son, Herod Philip, expanded on his dad's work and built a lavish city there that he named after Caesar and himself to showcase the wealth and power of Rome and himself. And one of the most famous features of the area was a cave in that enormous rock wall known as the Cave of Pan, the God Pan. And around the cave were carved numerous niches to hold shrines to a pantheon of Roman gods. So it's in this setting, walking past this enormous rock wall and the cave and looking up at the shrines of Roman gods that a person might naturally think about their own faith, who they worshiped and what they believed or didn't believe. Did seeing that rock wall and Pan's cave prompt the questions that Jesus asked his disciples? We don't know, but it's interesting interesting to ponder, because the original readers of Matthew probably knew about the Cave of Pan and the shrines there, just like we know about local um, attractions. They may not have been surprised that Jesus did a little public opinion research at that point, limiting it to his own disciples. So he asked them, what others said about who he was. And they answered what they had heard. Some say John the Baptist, but others say Elijah and still others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then Jesus asked who they thought he was. And we know that Peter piped up with, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now flash forward 2000 years to our time and place. We don't exactly have a cave of Pan exhibiting a pantheon of deities, but metaphorically, we do have our own cave of Pan. We have televisions that bombard us with imagery of power and what should be desired and what we should worship. We even have a popular TV show called American Idol. We have billboards, books, magazines, and radio, not to mention the internet and streaming services that bring us the same kind of information wherever we happen to be. Media will reach you, whether you're on the road or on the rails or in the air. I even have a waterproof speaker that can stream music and podcasts to me in the shower. So keep this in mind, our own cave of pen is all around us. And think of the answer to the question, who do people say Jesus is? Now the same question was asked to a survey group in 2020 of over 3000 US citizens, 52% of those surveyed believed that Jesus was a great teacher and nothing more. Even more surprising, 30% of self-identified self-identified evangelicals in the survey said that Jesus was merely a great teacher and nothing more. I wonder if it'd be much different at any other point in time, because let's face it, people have been wrestling with this particular question since Jesus first asked it. And I used to wonder why didn't Jesus just come out and tell people, I'm the Messiah, I'm God, the creator, who's come to earth in human form. Look at what I'm doing, listening to what I'm saying. Doesn't that convince you? But it wasn't time for that yet. So Jesus didn't say it. Jesus asked his disciples what they thought instead. And it brings me back around to the story of our Yale Law School educated young man who is a star reporter for the Chicago Tribune. When we left off the story of This young man named Lee, he was feeling an enormous disconnect and he only saw the fruits of it. A lack of empathy and caring and not the root cause of not being grounded in, well, anything. He was shocked one day when his beloved wife, Leslie, came home and announced that she had become a Christian. His his first thoughts were along the lines of, how dare she? He never signed up to be married to a Christian. He wanted his carefree, fun-loving wife exactly as she was. What surprised him though, as the weeks and months went on was that yes, his wife was different, but the differences were in her character. She was still carefree and fun-loving, but also more loving and caring of others. Lee was still mad, though, and in fact, he was so mad, he decided to take two years to prove that Christianity was just another nice myth, that Jesus wasn't the Son of God, and there was, in fact, no God at all. And he figured that with his investigative skills as a journalist and as an attorney, this would be a cakewalk, cakewalk except it wasn't. He started by trying to prove that Jesus never existed, and of course he couldn't because there are historians outside of the Christian record who mention Jesus, Josephus, Tacitus, Pliny the Younger, among others. He moved on to archeology, span certain that the gospel writers had erred and that archeologists could prove it. They came across the work of Sir William Ramsey, an archeologist in the late 1800s and early 1900s, who believed that the book of Luke couldn't have been accurate because of a lack of archeological evidence. So he went off to the Middle East and after years of studying and digging, Ramsey decided that Luke was right and he was wrong. Archeological evidence in fact supported Luke and Ramsey himself became a believer. Lee went on to examine in the same way every aspect of biblical texts He saw that there were small differences from one gospel to the next. But as an investigative journalist, he could understand small differences. What he didn't get was a sense that anyone was lying and he had become very good at spotting liars. And then we looked at the changes in the people Jesus knew intimately, the disciples, had heard Jesus teaching both in sermons to large crowds and in intimate teachable moments just for them. They had watched Jesus heal people of horrible terminal diseases. They'd seen his great love and compassion for the poor and powerless. They'd witnessed miracles. For three years, they'd shared his ministry. And then when things got dicey, when things got dangerous, they ran away from the horrible events of Good Friday. But their stories didn't end there. These same people continued to experience Jesus. This was because he didn't stay dead. He was resurrected. They saw him, spoke with him, they ate with him. And they were later willing to die for what they believed was the truth of that question he had asked them years earlier. Who do you say I am? As I mentioned earlier, one of the things that puzzled Lee Strobel was that how his wife Leslie changed when she became a Christian. She became an even better person for knowing Christ. And he yearned for that for himself so that while he was trying to disprove Christ, he started to live differently. These are his own words. As I started applying the Bible's wisdom to the way I dealt with my anger, I found my emotions coming under control. When I started practicing forgiveness the way the Bible prescribes, it eased the bitterness that used to make my stomach churn and my jaw clench. And this happened again and again in the areas of finances, stress, character qualities, you name it. And after a while, I said to myself, Maybe there is something to the Bible. When I try living the way it says I should live, my life gets better. Where did all that wisdom come from? Is it possible the Bible really is a revelation from God? And yes, he decided that it was possible. After two years of research and wrestling and writing, Lee Strobel found his own answer to the question, who do you say I am? He decided that Jesus had to have been the son of God and that, yes, God had to actually exist. And he ended up writing about his studies in the best-selling book, The Case for Christ. He left his job at the Chicago Tribune, went on to write several more books about the Christian experience. He eventually became a pastor at both Willow Creek Community Church and later at Saddleback Church. That kind of life change is completely consistent with what Paul writes about in 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. And that change in us is Christ in us. But there's more to consider. After Peter gave his famous answer, Jesus said, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. How ironical that he was at Caesarea Philippi, built on a great rock. And yet he told his disciples that his church would be built on them, on humans, on relationships. And here's my own personal belief about that line, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I don't believe that life is ever simple. We have challenges. We have hard times. Yes, we have heartbreaking tragedies. God rarely swoops in to save the day like Iron Man or Superman when we face trials, but Christ in us. Our transformed hearts and minds will remain Christ will never abandon us or leave us. And sometimes we just have to take that on faith because there will be times when it feels like we're alone, but we're not. One final thought for you. I was in Bothell last week and I stopped in at the church office where I've had a wonderful conversation with someone who, in my opinion, is a great theologian, our own director of operations, Jeremy Matthias. And we talked about church in general, but most specifically about the relationships that we have both been blessed to develop with other believers through worshiping and studying and singing and working together. And I finally understood something important, something that Lee Strobel finally understood too. In knowing Jesus as the Messiah, hearts are changed, minds are changed, behaviors are changed, And relationships with God and one another grow out of that. I have a church family right here at Bothell UMC, a community here, a shared set of values that align with what God wants for our world, because those are the things that we collectively want for our world. There is a level of trust and love here that is unique. Now, that is not to say that I don't trust in my love and love my friends who don't believe. I do. I love them. They're wonderful, and I adore them. And that's not to say that we do not share many of the same values, but the reason for it is different. The reason is Jesus. Do you want to see the face of Christ? Look around you. And I mean this literally right now. Turn around. Look around you. Look at the people sitting in the sanctuary around you. We are Christ in our community, or at least we're striving to become Christ in our community. Just like Bothell UMC's purpose statement says, and remember this the next time you look in the mirror, you personally are becoming Christ in the community. You are the rock. You can change the world because Christ is changing you. And this is all because you answered the question Jesus asked his disciples 2,000 years ago. Who do you think I am? You are the Messiah. And even though we're on video, can I get an amen? Please join me in prayer. Oh God, we thank you for that moment in Caesarea Philippi when you asked your magnificent question. Thank you for changing us. Thank you for this church and this church family. May we be people who reflect our belief that you are the Messiah. May we reflect it in our lives this coming week and all of our days ahead. Amen.